Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast. Welcome to True Fiction, the podcast that talks to creative people and finds out where all that creativity comes from. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs. Across the desk from me is my co-pilot for this journey, Norbert Yates. How's it going tonight, Norbert? It's going great. That's good to hear. Tonight we have a great guest. He's a woodworker whose creations are as beautiful as they are functional. And he's also an award-winning filmmaker. True Fiction welcomes Scott Telly. Hey, Scott, how's it going tonight? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm glad you did. Uh, I'm glad you said yes when we asked. So that's awesome. So it was always a a, a bit of anxiety whenever we put ourselves out we, there. We like never that. know. Hey, you responded. That's good. <laughs> Half of them don't. Yeah, it's just it kidding. was a little touch and go there for a minute. <laughs> I know you're also a minister or pastor. And yeah, yeah, I work at church. I know that a pastor doesn't work nine to five. Pastors' work is varied hours and usually long. So how did you get started with woodworking? Well, uh, you're right. There's a lot of uh, unique challenges that come along with uh, pastoring at a church. I'm not the uh, pastor that speaks on stage, but I do, you know, a lot of the other things, uh, answering calls and uh, helping people out when that is needed. And uh, just as our church has grown and I had just kind of been working a little harder and harder as one does, I kind of hit a place of, I wouldn't say full on burnout, but I definitely was getting crispy and I needed to take a little time to uh, hit reset. And so as a part of that, woodworking was kind of this thing that kind of came out of needing another creative outlet that was, you know, just for myself only that I could get into. And like I said, refuel, refuel myself. Do you have some, was there somebody that you knew that was into it or did you, how do you get introduced into woodworking? Do you just say, I want to do it? Do you know somebody that, that did it? How does that work? Oh, yeah. Well, Norbert, I could go back in time if I wanted to. Thanks to YouTube, you can learn anything. No, that's not that's not exactly the, the course that I did. But I did. I, I do have access to the Internet now, which you didn't always. Uh, I've always been interested in woodworking to some degree. I'm not one of those guys that has like the grandpa with like all of the tools and everything to show show me how to do that. But it's always been something interesting. And so cost was definitely one of those things that kept me from starting. I kind of assumed you needed a a big table saw and a bunch of other things to, to get started. And I was like, I don't have the cash flow to finance that new hobby. And I found kind of this little niche on YouTube of hand tool only woodworkers. And uh, honestly, the pace of uh, working with hand tools was just what I needed, the right medicine at the right time. And so that I'm trying to think of one of the YouTubers that was really influential. I'd say Paul Sellers. He's from, I believe, England. I uh, watched a lot of his stuff on YouTube. And uh, if you look him up, he's just a born, like, 50 years plus experience of working with wood only hand tools wow. and loves teaching. And so uh, I've always been one of those guys that it really doesn't matter what you're interested into, but man, to hear anybody talk about something that they're just crazy passionate about you know, I could, he's one of those guys, you know, he, he could talk about woodworking till the sun goes down. Tell me about what you make. I, I have seen your stuff. So you're making wood, wooden creations and are you doing commission work? I've done a few, a uh, few commission things, you know, at what point when you're in uh, a craft or something that you create, at what point do you call yourself like professional or you call yourself worthy of of doing a commission piece, you know, it's a, it's kind of a subjective, maybe checkpoint that I would say is hard for me to kind of accept the fact that I'm of quality that other people are going to pay me to do something for them. Uh, Because honestly, I got into it just out of the interest in the hobby and interest in the, uh, just all the things that you can learn around uh, woodworking. So I have done some commissions, but um, most of the things that I've done, I mean, early on, it just started as simple as if I'm going to do woodworking and use hand tools, I need a workbench. And so that was kind of my first project. I made that with a hand plane and a handsaw. It was super challenging, especially since I didn't have anybody in person, you know, show me how to use the tool. So it was kind of a, a lot of trial and error. Some real ugly, ugly things happen along the way. I've got some injuries as well, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so I, I don't, I I have started selling, uh, 
seasonally. I would say I've, I've been selling some uh, uh, spoon carving, uh, some spoons and some um, cutting boards that go along with that. Uh, the spoons is kind of funny because that's not typically when you think of woodworking, you don't think of spoon carving, but that came out of a, an interest in doing something with woodworking whenever I was on vacation, like visiting, uh, you know, my brother-in-law's family or something like that. It's like, what can I do when I can't get in the shop? And so I was like, oh, I'll just take this piece of wood with me and carve it up. And so that's kind of where that came from. Oh, that's, that's really cool. When you're doing that sort of stuff, obviously you, st- you started out doing it as a therapeutic sort of unwinding of, of, of sorts. One of the things I think about is like when I, I got away from art and then when I first started doing it, it was such a frustration because it what I saw in my head, I couldn't produce because I just didn't have the skills. Was it frustrating for you to start out with or did you just didn't, it, it was the, ther, the, the therapy of doing it was more valuable than what the end product was? Oh man, that is a really good question. Man, I have to think about that. You know, I, I want to say it's kind of both and, you know, um, I think anytime we, we make something with our hands, we want it to be great. We want it to be awesome, but the truth of the matter is it doesn't always happen that way the first time. In fact, it rarely happens that way in the first time. Uh, but the fact that, um, I got to spend time, you know, on one task, do you know how often like your mind is pulled in like 10 different directions? And, uh, when you're working with something that's as specific as thicknessing down a board with a hand plane, you know, there's not a whole lot of other things going on in that moment. And you're really trusting how you, you know, you put your hands on the wood and you feel like it, does this feel flat? Does it look flat to my eye? And, uh, it slows everything down. And so definitely, the process is really a big part of it, uh, especially in that season. Uh, but also, I mean, it's the challenge too, Norbert. You know, I think with anybody who draws, like I know you do art as well, um, you're always trying to, when you get done with a project, look back at it and think, okay, if I was to make another product similar to that one, what would I do? Would I make it a little thinner? Would I make it a little bit bigger? Would I add a little bit more to this side or that side? So, I mean, to me, that's part of the, the pursuit, you know, is how can I, how can I take something that I was happy with, but kind of wished I could have done some other things differently. And then that's, that's really what drives probably my, my next project is like, oh, uh, I like how that looked with oak. Man, I wonder what that would look like in walnut. I don't know. Let's go try that. Well, I've never used walnut. Let's go see what that would, you know, so it's kind of the adventure along the way. Uh, kind of coupled with that, the process. So you've done this, I, I know you've done this for several years. Um, I, I sort of think of it like it, this is piggybacking on my earlier question where I, you're at, at first your skill level is not very good, but as you get, as you do it and you do it and you do it and you do it, you start to get a competency and it starts to be, at least for me, less miserable because what I'm seeing when I'm done is closer to what's in my head to start with, do you feel like that you're getting to the point, because I've seen some of your stuff and it's, it's beautiful that your skill level is getting up to a, a, a point where what you visualize now is very close to your end result. Uh, definitely closer to what I visualize in my head. It, it's funny that you, you mentioned that as being part of the creative process, because I think that there are some people who uh, are kind of a dump the crayons on the table creators, you know, they just kind of put everything out there and then they just start grabbing crayons. And, and it's like, I don't know what's going to come out of this, but I'm going to put all this together. And, uh, and that's pretty fascinating to watch. I'm not opposite. I've always joked like one of the movies, my childhood movies growing up was uh, karate kid. I really liked, really liked the karate kid. And if you remember, there's this scene where he is, uh, in Mr. Miyagi's like uh, apartment and he's showing him how to trim a bonsai tree and he tells him to uh, close his eyes and in his head he has to picture this perfect tree and he's like after he gets that picture of the tree in his head he's like now here the scissors make what was in your head happen on this tree and I think that that is a, a lot of what how I approach any creative project I 
I tend to go first and do all of the like creation in my head. And then once I get that figured out, then I'll attempt whatever it is that I'm making. And so uh, does what I make match what's in my head Uh, more, more and more. But one thing that just seems to be a little bit elusive to me is the idea of scale when you're working with woodworking. Um, I think that these furniture makers that can make a table or a chair or a bookcase or whatever. Um, if I just go grab boards and start cutting what I think is probably the right height or the right thickness, man, it just never, the proportions are so much the beauty of the pieces that you see in, um, you know, art galleries and uh, craftsmen that you want to emulate when you're creating. Uh, that's definitely a thing that I still don't feel confident in. I hit the mark sometimes. I try to write things down so that, you know, if you get it right, you kind of would like to copy that. You know, if I'm going to do a table, I definitely want to do it that thickness next time. Or I definitely want to take a little bit more off or, uh, you know, adjust it in a way so that the proportions make sense. Uh, but I do feel like the process, though, nobody it goes faster. And that's a big part of it, too, that early on it took several, uh, you know, attempts, so many shavings to try to just get a board to look flat on one side. Uh, And that's the process when you're doing it by hand, you got to start with one side and you don't do anything else until that side's flat. Uh, And now I feel like I can get to that really, really quick. And so the process is faster, even though the product is always, gosh, just out of reach is what it feels like. (laughs) Do you work from patterns? Do you, I I think the your cutting boards are just beautiful. I love the shapes of those. And uh, is that a pattern or is that something that you came up with? I am fascinated by and want to be more that from that perspective of let the wood speak to me. That sounds a little bit out there maybe, but one of the shapes of the cutting boards that was the most, got the most attention this last fall when I put some of my stuff online was one that I I promise you, I just drew around the knot that was in the wood. There was, you know, wood's expensive. I don't know if you know <laughs> this, but it's, it's not cheap when you get it hardwood. And so the idea of discarding some of it, any of it is like, it hurts. So uh, there was one with this kind of curved handle to it. And I had seen, I had looked at a lot of other inspiration And uh, with this particular board, I just thought, I don't want to waste this. Let me take a variation on something I saw and kind of go around the, uh, the not go where the wood lets me go. And it worked well enough that then I made a pattern off of that board, you know, and I say that like after the fact, I looked at it and I said, well, that was successful. Unlike the other one that I'm not going to show on my Instagram (laughs) feed, you know? Sure. And so I do keep um, patterns of the things that work. Uh, not all things, but the things that I maybe especially think are interesting, and uh, I work from those. But if I'm if I'm going to wade into a new territory, let's say I'm going to try to do uh, a bookcase, and I've never done a bookcase, I will do a little bit of research and find out. Okay, what seems to be the standard, you know, widths or heights of bookcases? Because you can kind of use a tape measure and try to picture it, but I'm always off. (laughs) Like it's always, I don't understand it. So it it is helpful to look at what others have done and uh, take from what they've done. And then at the same time, I try to infuse uh, myself. I try to uh, let, let that go a little bit, the tension that, you know, wanting to do it perfect. And I try to remember that it's also uh, fun to just kind of see what happens when you, when you try something new, there is a, and I don't know if this is related. You might edit this out. You might not. Uh, there is this, it's Japanese woodworking. And the, the, uh, the idea is working with the imperfections and it's not just a woodworking thing. It's a, I think it's wabi-sabi. Yeah, no, it's definitely called wabi-sabi. Yeah, here we go. Wabi-sabi in traditional Japanese aesthetics. Wabi-sabi is a worldview centered on the acceptance of transcendence and imperfection. I probably said transcendence transients. Is that how you say, I would say that? transients? Let's just call it transients. It's your <laughs> podcast. So we'll go with it. Sounds good. Uh, basically it's, it's looking at the imperfections um, that are in nature and then like rolling with it. Just, just go with it. So in, in one way you might look at a piece of wood and go, Oh, that's not going to be very good because there's this weird, all this weird stuff happening. This knot that's there. They would 
look at that and say, how can we not just include that in the design, but how can we like actually highlight that and elevate that? And it's crazy how, depending on what kind of woodworker artist you are, you'll grab a piece of wood and, and say, oh, this is great because it's super straight grain. It's not going to move on you. This is what I want. I, and then another woodworker will take something that would be completely garbage and burnt in the burn pile and they'll turn it into this super beautiful looking piece of furniture or, or whatever. And so I, I kind of find it interesting. and want to lean in that other way, even though I kind of have that mathematical background and precision. So it's a little bit of a fight against myself to get there, but man, that's what makes it fun. And one of the things I think about is you're a pastor who has, you deal with emotional highs and lows. How does that affect your artistic output does when when things are either good or bad does it make you or or are you just better in the even times you know what i mean is 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 it or do you find creative burst in in either highs or lows and you got good questions he didn't kick those to me in advance either so from the <laughs> oh hip, i just I think guess. of them at the at the time <laughs> oh really okay so restate your question one more time you're saying my my given that you're in a in an environment that has highs and lows Extreme highs and lows. Yeah, extreme highs and lows. Do you find your creative output affected, you know, positively, negatively by the highs and lows? Are you more creative in, in a low part or you or is it just you can't work during those highs and lows? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. You should do a podcast. You're really good at this. Someday. I I think that when I've never thought about this, but thinking about it right now on the spot on a podcast, I would say that when it's a low spot, when I'm in a season of difficulty or let's just say things are heavy, you know, the process, I really love the process of going out and taking a piece of wood and, you know, putting my hands to it and working on it, changing the shape, the the feel of the wood. I like the, to slow it down in those seasons. You know, I, I do have power tools now, so I can plane something by hand. But if I want to bang out a quick project, I can throw it through an electric planer. But in the, I would say in the heavier times, I would lean towards a, a hand tool, take my time. It's the process. It's not so much the finish line. That really is maybe, uh, maybe in some ways, I'd say that's like a therapeutic. And then Definitely in the, the times when my, you know, heart feels lighter, uh, more carefree. I think that's when the, uh, the fun, the fun out of the box ideas, I'm not really thinking specific tasks as much as, Hey, this is a weird idea. What if I, you know, made, made a cutting board out of this random piece of wood? Like what, what could I do to this to make it actually worth something? You know, I, I've always found that you get super creative in in seasons where there are restrictions rather than like having every tool on the planet, at your disposal. I've always appreciated the, what if you only had, you know, these two tools and this one species of wood to work with. And then in my mind, I try to like, Oh, that's like a challenge. How many different things can I come up with, uh, with that one thing? So, which is good, especially when you're, you're starting out any craft because you don't have, access to just everything. And it's easy to get online and see somebody's Instagram feed and all the, you know, 30 different species of wood and tools and things they're doing. And you're just like, man, I'm never going to get there. But if you can just kind of step away from that and look at, uh, look at what you have and then come up with something new and fresh and different, uh, definitely those creative bursts happen, not in the heavy times. I don't, I don't, when I'm down, you know, come up with really great stuff. I know some people probably do, but uh, I'm more just lucky to to get out there and have the time, you know. On on that, I was thinking about the, you know, that you're a from my being around you, you're a a very extroverted personality. You like being around people. You like doing, you know, you're in a in a very public sort of way. And a lot of artists are more introverted, and I was just wondering, do you ever get frustrated with like, or do you find it hard to, to set aside time to work on a piece of art or is art is always a, um, because you're a very talented artist. I mean, if you just look through your video 
your your woodworking. I mean, you definitely have talent, but obviously your 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 passion is people. And I was just wondering, do you ever get frustrated with like have getting enough time or do you find that it's, you know, you just working on it for little bits is enough to to sort of fulfill that that uh, artistic bent? Just sort of like that balance between being an an extroverted sort of personality and balancing that with creative and which a lot of art is a solitary kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. You've got great questions, Norbert. Keep them coming. (laughs) I, I would say that uh, a little bit of it depends on, let me, let me think about this for just a second. I would have to say that there it's like anything in life. There are some things that are fun to share with others. And then there are some things that are more special to you or, or for you that are more personal. So uh, like you mentioned, uh, film, uh, filmmaking is also a, another hobby passion of mine. Um, we did a 48 hour film project. We've done four of them. And what I've really enjoyed about those is the collaborative component that, and I actually learned that when you collaborate, it is hard. It is really hard to collaborate with other people who have other opinions other than yours. But when you do it, it not only is hard and takes a whole lot longer, but man, the things that you come up with on the other side are, are really interesting. Like they're, they've got another, they've got layers of depth to them that when I come up with something all by myself, uh, sure, I have my own experiences to build on, but there's just so much more richness when you uh, do something like that with other people. Uh, however, there are other things that are, are personal and are, uh, you know, the time that I have in the shop on the whole, I take is a, a real gift because I mean, that's time that I'm not just taking away from my job, but that's time where I'm, I'm out in another building on our property than, than in the house with the family. And so um, I, I don't want to be out there all the time, uh, but I do know that when I'm out there, that's a, a personally, that's a personally fulfilling activity for me. So the creative process of woodworking primarily for me is a lot more personal, which is again, why I think I started doing it in the first place, because I wanted to have a space to flex and exercise uh, my own creative muscles for, for no other purpose than the activity of doing that. And uh, a lot of the other things that I, I put together and produce, you know, are for so many other people or the time that I give, which is again, uh, a passion of mine as well. So it's not one or the other is bad and the other is good. Uh, good you know what I mean? It's uh, it's kind of both. And so I don't know if that answers your question real great there, but. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, and that's one of the things that, you know, it's, it try, it's trying to get insight into, you know, how different people approach things and how different personalities, because we're just artists are tend to be a little bit more introverted. And, you know, that's not, that's, that's a tendency, not a rule. I mean, there's all kinds of artists that are very extroverted. And so it's interesting to listen to people's thought, you know, how they feel about that. Norbert, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to throw something in there because I am a pastor and, uh, this is not, this is just sharing with you my own perspective. So, uh, for anybody who wants to to hear it. This is my own perspective, but I was actually struggling a little bit with wishing that I had more time that I could pour into uh, not just learning woodworking, but there's a whole list of other things that I'd like to try, you know, along the way, other materials I'd like to build with other uh, crafts I'd like to practice and try out. And I was really just going through a season of like frustration. Why, why is it that I get out in the shop and you know, an hour just evaporates. It's just gone. I sharpened a tool and it's over, you know, and I thought I'm never going to have enough time to, to get to all these things that I want to try out and and create and make. And, uh, I view, uh, God as a creative God. And, uh, my, my personal faith is that, uh, who he is, is a creator, one who who made everything around us. And so the Bible says that I'm made in his image, which uh, I take to mean uh, that my creativity is kind of an expression of uh, who he is, who he has made me to be. And so I started looking at, you know, you kind of, whenever you get into 
uh, religion and faith. You look at end times. That's the hot topic everyone wants to know about. And I was just reading through the Bible and and uh, I gave a picture of kind of what what heaven is going to be like. And uh, the picture that as I was reading through that that I got was that on the other side of this life, I'm still going to have opportunity to create. That's not something that is finite on on this in this life on this earth, and uh, that I'll still have m- uh, many many you know an eternity of opportunity after I I'm done with this life here. And so at least for me, that kind of put me back into a a good a good place. I'm like, okay, well I don't have to hurry to try everything. Instead, I can just really enjoy and drink in uh, each and every opportunity I have to to try and do something as an ex- that's an expression of myself that I want to learn, that I want to try. And uh, I feel much better about it. There's not as much pressure on, on myself. Uh, but I, I tip my hat to, to people who are able to turn into themselves when they create. I think that's one of the hardest things. Uh, Norbert, you were talking about being an extrovert and then how that affects with how that affects my creativity, my creativity or my creative process. And I think that's a huge challenge because I'm not really good at turning in inward to myself and then trying something and sharing it with other people. I feel like that can be a very vulnerable thing to do. And I, uh, I think some of the greatest art that we see and that we love comes from people who are willing to just be 100% authentic and just pour out of their own, you know, this is who I am and this is how I think and what I feel. And I'd like to do that more and be better at that. But I mean, there's a tension that's there, right? You don't want to have everybody into your, your head, knowing your deepest, darkest thoughts and secrets and fears and all those things. So it's a, it's a challenge. Oh yeah. I, I definitely think that one of the things that we've been talking about recently is per art is performative. Even if you're an introvert, there's a part of you that wants to be seen and your stuff seen, but there's also a part of you that is fearful as you're getting at, which I think is a great point of really exposing too much of yourself in there and it's always you know the as you you know get a little further along in the art whatever creative art you're in whatever it could be is is being bold and taking chances and putting yourself out there and i think that's a that's a great point you know there's always that tension before you want something to be seen and seen great and but putting yourself out there you have grown as a woodworker. You started out, you might not have been that great, but as time has, has, has went on, you've been become a better woodworker. It's like getting, you know, putting your toes in the water. You know, it's a little cold, but after a while, you can step in deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, what I'm wondering is, has that changed you as a person? Have, have you, has it helped you grow as a person? Yeah, I think anybody who slows down and takes time to be honest with themselves, to assess, you know, where you're at, to really to ask the question, like, what is it that, that I'm interested in that I like, or what do I think is beautiful? What do I think is intriguing or challenging? It doesn't have to match whatever other people think is beautiful and challenging and and great. I really think a lot of us, myself included, kind of get caught into that kind of what Norbert was saying. We worry what other people think about uh, what we put together, what we show, whether that's a project for work or a piece of art that we do on our own. And it's really hard to escape that and really be true to yourself. That's, that is really, really hard. And when you do have those moments of clarity, it's even harder to share that with anybody else. Because now if they say, that's ugly, I don't like that. You're not very good. You're not talented. You know, those types of things. It doesn't just sound like, you know, that's bad. It, it, it hurts deep. It cuts all the way to the same place that it came from, you know, because that's where you let them in. That's what you let them see. And so it's finding that sweet spot where you can be genuine and what you love, and then share that, and know that even though there are going to be people that look at that and say, well, that's too small, that's too big, that's too, you know, whatever it is you're creating, it's okay, because that's what makes me, me, and um, that's, you know, I'm, I'm doing that for others, but it's also just a me sharing who, and what I'm bringing to the table, uh, just as much as it is trying to like, show off, you know, I think that's 
real easy to want to do something and say, look how good this is. You know, uh, I try to, to be real careful with that. I, I slip into it. I look at something and think that's, that turned out great. I can't wait to put that on Instagram, you know, uh, and then you make something else and you're like, uh, I wonder if anybody's going to like this. And so uh, that validation feels good. But if you work for that validation in people, it is, it's just tiring. It's going to wear you out in the end. So yeah, you make it for yourself. You know, you have to make it for yourself. You create practical art. The art that you use can be used uh, for something other than just hanging it up and looking at it. You make tables and chairs and you make beautiful cutting boards and different things. And you're, it's very artistic. It's very unique. But I'm wondering, have you ever thought about making something that is just art, that is only there to be looked at and appreciated? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I would like to believe that I want that to be a part of or built into whatever I create. Uh, if I make a chair for pure functional purposes, then I might as well just cut a chunk of wood and put it on the floor and sit on it, you know? So I think the, I do want it to be useful, but at the same time, I want it to be, you know, sometimes it's not as deep as I'm making it sound. Sometimes it is as simple as, hey, that technique is really rad. I want to try that out. Let me see if I can make something even close to what uh, this other, you know, maker made. And, and sometimes I get success and sometimes I uh, fail along the way and it's like, oh, it's almost going to be burnt. And then at the last second, something, another idea hits me and I take something that was going terrible and it turns around and it's actually really, really great. Um, that's, that's a super fun day to think about making a big mistake, but then stopping for a minute and before you discard it, say, okay, here's the challenge. Can I take this mistake and still make something new and fresh and cool? And uh, those, those are good days when you figure that out. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, sometimes I just want to try something new and that's a lot of why I don't stay in the same medium. I think a lot of artists do that, right? They kind of get onto one thing and then they, they, they approach it from uh, different angles. And then after a while, they're like, I'm kind of done doing that one thing. Now I want to do another thing. And I'm a little, I'm not going to pretend like I, I don't fall into that a hundred percent. I get full on into to one kind of woodworking and then I get distracted or, or interested in something else. And uh, I want to try, I haven't done, you know, bookcases yet. I want to try bookcases or you know, fill in the blank, whatever, whatever it is. My, I think this is my <clears throat> final woodworking question. And do you, as you like in five years or 10 years, do you see yourself doing more complex pieces? Do you see trying different techniques is, is that going to be a focus or is it mastering the techniques that you're, you're working with now? I think where I want to go with woodworking is I want to build onto what I've already started doing. So I want to do what I'm doing better, but then I want to add to not finish doing what I'm doing and then do something completely different. Uh, I want to get better at the things that I already have learned. And then I want to always add uh, a piece to every project. I do this all the time. I, I make something as, you know, I make a cutting board and then I, after I make the cutting board, I'm like, okay, I could make 12 more of those and maybe sell them, but I really want to try making this other kind, you know, this end grain cutting board. It's a totally different technique, or I really want to try, to, uh, I made this one piece um, and it's on my Instagram uh, using a Japanese, I had this idea where uh, there's this Japanese woodworking, again, the Japanese names are escaping me today, but uh, Kumiko is what it's called. And it's a uh, geometric patterns that you make uh, with, with woodworking. And you make these specific jigs that are these very calculated mm -hmm. angles. You know, the Japanese are just so good at these ridiculously precise ornate uh, patterns and things that they do. And so I was like, I really want to try this. So I threw some wood together. I made this, uh, I made my first pattern, you know, of uh, this Kumiko pattern. And then I had this idea. I was like, well, wait, what if I took this really pretty piece that you could, I, I've got one in my window in my shop, you know, so I can see it from the road. I kind of like just the, 
the vibe that it puts off. And I thought, what if I took something really pretty like this? It looks like art. And then I dropped it right inside of a, I like um, inlaid it into a cutting board where people are just going to like hammer at it with their knife. You know, like I just the idea of taking something beautiful and then being like putting it in a cutting board. And so I did a lot of, uh, you know, looking around on, on the internet and really didn't see, I saw some things that were maybe similar, but uh, that was something where I thought it was kind of fun to stretch the art and, and combine it with something that I already did. And so I'm, I'm trying to get better at doing the cutting board, you know, but I'm also now starting to experiment at the same time. So uh, anytime I want to do a, another project, whatever my next project is, it's real easy to just look at the whole scope of the project and say, what is a piece of this project that I could potentially ruin everything <laughs> by adding? That's what I want to do. <laughs> so <laughs> That's, uh, that's definitely what keeps pushing me forward. Uh, but it's definitely a build, a build an orbit, not, not something that's, you know, uh, I'm going to abandon what I'm doing to do something else. I think it's in addition to, you know, I see that what you're doing, I like the way that you're going on this. And this is kind of what I was trying to get with, with my last question is, is you're making this thing that looks every bit of art, but it's a practical thing, a cutting board. But uh, how many people do you think will take that beautiful inlay and, and go ahead and use it as a cutting board? You know, I, I think they're probably going to put it on the wall and go, that's gorgeous. <laughs> you know, we talked to a baker not too long ago, and she, had, she, she made all these, all these great cookies at, at the holidays. And then later, years later, she talked to these people, and they said, they, and they said well, we never ate it. You know, we, it was just too pretty to eat. We've, you uh-huh. know, we've kept this thing. And so, you know, a lot of things I think become more just enjoyable art. Not that, not that the practical art isn't enjoyable either, but I think, right. I think that's, I really, I think I'm really, I'm really interested in the way that you're, you're, you seem to be headed. Yeah. I think it's, you're, you're jogging my memory a little bit uh, for the Kumiko piece that I put into a cutting board. Uh, I had a, a friend of mine, this lady that real quick jumped in and said, Hey, if you're going to sell that, like, I definitely want to get that. And so as soon as I was done and I gave it to her, she was like, that's going on my dining table. We are never, I'm never going to let the kids touch it, you know? And I'm <laughs> like, it's, but it's a kind of, you can cut on it. It's fine. It's not going to hurt my feelings. It's like, no, there's no way I'm going to take a knife to that board. I was like, okay, cool. And I feel a little, you know, flattered by that, but I'm also like, but it's not going to, I mean, it's a piece of wood at the end of the day. So it's fine. You can cut it up. Uh, but she wasn't going to do it. Um, and then I've got these other friends of ours um, that were from, they're from Texas. And I was at the time uh, just starting to experiment a little bit with inlay where you take a, like a contrasting wood species and you do some sort of a shape and you cut away the wood inside of the, the cutting board. And then you cut the same shape out of a different species. And then it's like glued down in and sanded flush. And uh, I was doing real basic, you know, you see a lot of uh, bow ties and things like that. Uh, but for this uh, birthday, I was like, oh, hey, we should make this lady a, a cutting board that has the state of Texas in the butt, in, you know, in the cutting board. This would be crazy. I, I wonder if I could do this. So I find a Texas outline on, uh, on online and I print it out and I use that to kind of like give me my shape. And then by hand, you know, it's not what they uh, see and see. So it definitely take a whole lot longer. Uh, but that was the challenge for me. It was like, I wonder how close I can get to this, this idea, this picture in my head and it turned out really good. And, uh, I was, I think it's also on my Instagram, but it was a lot of fun. I've seen that picture. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's awesome. But I just saw that cutting board, like, I think it was like three or four weeks ago. And I'm over at these people's house. I haven't seen this cutting board in like a couple of years. And she pulls it out as we're like, uh, setting up to get something to eat and put out some, you know, crackers and cheese or whatever. And here comes this like beat up, just like it's been slashed every which way cutting board that I made. And oh man, that felt so good. I wasn't like, what have you done? Instead, I was like, oh, I'm so happy to hear that or to see that you've loved and used. And she said, you know, oh, I just love using this cutting board. It's so much fun to to see this and, and think about, you know, what it means and all that, that sort of thing. So um, I tend to lean more honestly toward that now than I used to. I used to be more like, oh, protect it and put it on a shelf and look at it. And I found like, at least in my life, uh, there's so much more meaning when you take that stuff and you put it in your hands and you feel it and you use it, live with it, and it gets wear on it. There's a lot of uh, people who 
hold high value handmade furniture from the 1700s. And when you go look at it, precision, it is not. In fact, when you look at a piece uh, that is made by hand and you look at the dovetails and the drawers, uh, the, the very thing that brings value to it is how not precise it is. They'll point out, look, you can tell these are handmade. Why? Because they're so not accurate. <laughs> and therefore, I really want to have this piece because I know it was handmade by somebody and not batched out at some warehouse. And so, again, it's that wabi-sabi idea, you know, just embracing the imperfections, the story that goes along with every piece. Uh, I, I like that a whole lot more. And so, uh, yeah, anything I put out there, if you ever get a, a piece of, uh, of mine and then you use it and abuse it, I celebrate you. Awesome. Well, that was what the baker was. She wanted her stuff ate. Yeah. She, she wanted you to enjoy it. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to switch things up before we run out of time. You are a filmmaker as well. Now, I want to know what, what you do. do you, are you a jack of all trades? Are you a writer, director, actor? What is your role in the filmmaking? Uh, man, I, I like all aspects of filmmaking, but I'm definitely driven by story. I think that to me in film is the number one thing that uh, it reaches past your eyes and into your heart. You know, when, when there's something that you can really relate to or that challenges your way of thinking or, uh, you know, just jars you out of the place that you're in and, you know, shifts your trajectory into a different place because uh, this idea kind of permeated inside of you. I, man, I love that. I love whether it's a short story, a long story. Um, I, I'm just like everybody else. I think it's really cool to watch stuff blow up in special effects and I'm wowed every time they do something new. And I definitely am, you know, it's staggering what, what people are doing these days. But if it doesn't have that story, then it's only interesting the first, you know, 15 minutes of the, of the, how many movies have you been to where you watch the first 15, 20 minutes? And then it's like, you can tell they're like fighting to have a story, something with substance. They're like, gosh, we had this really good idea, but we don't know where to go with it. Uh, and that's also, I'd say probably the thing that hangs me up from, from making more films is uh, uh, you were talking about the film that I, I won. Uh, it was a 48 hour film contest. It's a two day, like, People say, oh, that sounds so so much fun to make a film in two days. And I'm like, it is an exhausting exercise in concessions because you do not have enough time to make a really great story in two days. So you're just constantly looking at the time and saying, okay, so what other part are we not going to be able to do here? Let's pick the things that really matter again, the restrictions are driving the creativity. And so I started to do the 48 hour film projects. Um, like, like I said, we've done four of them and they've been sp spaced out over the last uh, 10 or 15 years. But uh, I did that because like 10 years went by and I kept thinking to myself, I'd love to make a short film one day. And 10 years later, I'm like, I've done nothing to make a short film, you know, other than just think in my head, wouldn't that be great? And so I saw this opportunity and I was like, well, at least this, will, this restriction will force me to to create something. And, uh, I had known Norbert had, uh, had created a, a short film that he shared with me years and years ago. And I thought, man, that'd be really great. And I still think someday it would be really cool to do a, a longer, um, you know, the, the restrictions of the contest is a five to seven minute short video. So that's what we've done, but, uh, it would be really cool to do a, a longer story, maybe even a feature at some point, you know, uh, who knows what's out ahead, but, it would have to be the story, man. I, I've thought about like how much time and effort it would take to do that. And so probably directing, that's probably the question you're asking. What, what do you like to do with film? I like to direct, uh, but I like all the aspects so, so long as they're, they're pushing forward on the story. And I, I haven't found a story yet that I believe in that I love so much that I want to live with, you know, through the process of creating a longer film. There's a lot of techniques that I think are fun that I'd like to try, but man, these people that, that put together these, these really great stories. Uh, it's a lot of work. I respect the craft big time. Well, I can just tell you that after that sort of film, I've done zero <laughs> films after that. It made me really embrace art. <laughs> it burned me. You was talking about crispy. I was crispy. Yeah. Is that still, uh, is that still on you? Did that, did that ever make it up to YouTube? I don't know if I posted that or not. I don't think I have it, did I? What I was the name of that film again? Price, Price of, of Discovery. Discovery. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You had it on, 
on that. Uh, your your I think your mom made that up uh, for your Jeep. Like the yeah. back of your Jeep had the yep. the title of your film, right? It's still it's still on there. The Jeep's still running. Yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to run it until the wheels fall off of it. I'm jealous. Yeah. No, that's that's really cool. I think it's that's great. I'd, I'd still like to do it, but gosh, it's so much work with anything. That takes a lot of work. I just think I want the value the value to be there on the other side. I don't want to put myself into something, and then on the other side, it's just a shiny, attractive-looking thing. I'd really like it to have uh, more more substance than that. So. Are you looking for a script then, or are you wanting to write a script? You know, I would entertain either, uh, whatever script, if somebody brought me a script and they said, this is what I want to make. And it interested me. I definitely would still want to have the space to infuse my ideas into that as well. I don't think I'm looking to just create someone else's idea. I think I'm, you know, open to finding or happening upon an idea that, that feels unique or, or special to me. And then, uh, when, and if that happens, then I think that would be the exciting part is, again, if I could see that in my head, the exciting part would be drawing that out and, and putting that on, on screen to share with other people. But. And film, and a lot of time, is a more collaborative medium. And I, I actually think that if you have the right people, it's great. But if you don't, if you have people that come on set mm-hmm. and they haven't shaved when their character is barefaced, yeah, that gets mm-hmm. rough. We had a guy that <laughs> had, a, had, a, uh, Ouch. had a black eye. And they had to put makeup on him because he had been oh, in a no. brawl the night before. So and, gr- and, he, and, he, and he grew a beard. And he grew a beard, yeah. Hey, is, will this be a problem? If, if you have an actor ask you if this be a problem, it just, it just takes the wind out of your sails. Those are the horrors of micro cinema. But I think, that, <laughs> I think, I think part, probably the lesson is, is to see what you produce with it. Like you said, with the, the short project, uh, the 48 hours, you have no time. You have all these different voices trying to get their part heard. And, you know, you're taking parts of it that you love, and they're going on the floor. You're there, you can't even put them in there. So it, yeah. it is a very anxious time. But look what you came up. Time pieces is really good, by the way. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. That was, uh, wow. I mean, I... I can't believe we got any of these finished in 48 hours. I mean, I'll tell you every time I'm like, uh, so the, the timepiece one, I'll, I'll tell you the very end and I won't ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but, uh, we needed to, to, to shoot the end. We didn't shoot everything in order. You know, sometimes films, you assume they shoot them in order, but they don't. Um, the, this particular film, the last part that we shot was, uh, the last part of the film where they're on a bridge and there's this big thing that happens on this bridge. And somebody pitched the idea when we were trying to put this, the story together on Friday night. And they said, Oh, I know this perfect bridge. It'd be great. And so we kind of sketched out some ideas. We wrote up the lines that people would say, uh, kind of had our, our camera angles, you know, put together. And then here the sun is like, I mean, it's like an hour and a half till the sun goes down or something. And we drive up on this bridge and there's signs posted everywhere. That's like, do not, is illegal to walk on this bridge. This is not a, like you are not allowed onto the bridge. And we had that moment of like, do we pretend we didn't see it? Like, you know, it's a panic. You're like, I've worked for two days on this, on this film. And this is the end. Like we got to have an ending. And, you know, I look around and the rest of my team is just as fatigued as I am. And they're just like, gosh, I don't know. I'm out of ideas. I don't know what to do. And uh, that thing inside of me is just like driving. I love that director position because I'm like, oh, we will. I'm going to will this thing into being finished, you know? So I was like, we will make an ending. And we started driving around real quick. And I was like, where, where are some other bridges? And I found this one that did not look and feel anything like the bridge I wanted to do the ending of this film on. But we were like, this is the bridge we have. And I talked it over with one of the other guys on the team and said, what if instead of filming it kind of from a perpendicular standpoint, which is how we drew it up, we're like, what if we just make everything parallel on the bridge happen? Threw together a couple ideas and just got the cameras out and started shooting because you don't have time to... (laughs) to really develop it. You're just like, well, we're just going to make it. So yeah, there's this real critical moment on the bridge. Again, I don't want to ruin it, but where you kind of, everything goes to slow motion for that one second. You see, oh, this thing is happening. I had the idea to do it in a safe way because it was going to potentially lose the only prop that we had. And oh. this was such a pivotal moment. I was like, I want to make sure we get it on camera. And he's like, we don't have time. We're just shooting it. I got a camera. You got a camera. 
one of us will get it. And so we just shot it one take. And uh, so it's, it's fun whenever I see that because it's like, wow, it's a really powerful, heavy moment of the film. And we were flying by the seat of our pants and <laughs> I can't even believe it happened. So that, that's Some, fun. Sometimes the story is even better than the movie, but uh, <laughs> I, I really like time pieces. Yeah, it's a very good. We've, uh, we've taken up more time than we said we would, but uh, it's been a blast talking to you tonight. I don't know if you want anybody to go see your Instagram or anything like that. Uh, sure. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a really hard to remember one that I came up real creatively where I used my first initial and my middle name initial and my last name. Do you remember when we used to do, do that when the internet was brand new, Norbert? Do you yeah. remember? Oh, yeah. 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 We're like, uh, maybe we'll just use my first initial and my last name and nobody will know who I am. So it's S R Telly. So it's S R T E L L E is my uh, Instagram account. And like I said, I, if you go way back, I've got, you know, a few pictures of my little girl and some family stuff, but for the most part, uh, I only put uh, woodworking stuff on there. I've also in social media, I don't really love a lot of the things that happen on social media. That's a, another rant that I'll save for another <laughs> podcast. But I, what I do really love is artists that share their work and, and allow us to see not just the final pieces, but the process along the way. And so I found this whole community on Instagram uh, of woodworkers that are willing to share and answer questions. I can't tell you how many times I just got the guts to like message somebody that looks like they're making these fantastic things and they're using these tools that I really want to learn how to use. And I just shoot him a little, you know, a little text and uh, got this guy I know in Canada, Jay. I just, I don't know, once in a while, I, I literally just like send him a message, just be like, hey, what's up, Jay? How you doing? Because he was early on somebody that I connected with on Instagram. Never met the guy. He's miles and miles away. Probably will never see him face to face, but uh, it's a really cool community. So I've not just shared my own woodworking, but I've kind of curated like the people that I follow are specifically uh woodworking uh very few friends that i'll follow not not the personal but it's just that's where i kind of like to you know sift through that see if there's an idea something that i've i've never tried that i want to try that you know so well i would suggest people look at his stuff because not only is he a good work woodworker he has an eye for shooting stuff so his the pictures of the woodworking look great so it's well worth your time yeah it's very nice stuff man well thank I you thank you I really appreciate you coming on, Scott. We will, uh, maybe down the road, we'll talk again. I really love that you guys have allowed me to be on the show with you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Oh, we really appreciate it. It was also really fascinating. So you have a great night. You too. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. Hey, you're too late.